0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: When your perspective is an eternal perspective, you're going to understand that God is ultimately over this whole deal, nobody's getting away with anything, and that you can trust in Him.
0: Have you ever been called as a witness for a trial, maybe a car accident or something like that? If you have, you know that one of the first things the lawyers want to know is what your perspective was. Were you close by? Were you on the right side or the left side? Were you in front or behind? When it comes to having the clearest picture, perspective is everything.
1: If God doesn't do what you think He should do, God's perspective is often different from
0: ours. We're continuing our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. If you've been with us through this study, you know that Pastor Clay is walking us through the book of Mark in the New Testament. As we move into the latter part of chapter 9, we find Jesus trying to help His disciples have the right perspective. They were still struggling with understanding fully why Jesus came, and they were even beginning to fight among themselves about which one of them was the greatest. They sure had a lot to learn about what it really means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. In the power of the Holy Spirit,
1: if my perspective is eternal, everything, my relationships, my job situation, my everything, will take a new perspective.
0: But as you'll hear Pastor Clay say today, we sometimes struggle with the same issues that the original followers of Jesus did. And the answer they need to hear is the same one we need to hear today. So we're glad that you've taken the time to join us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. Uh
1: I have five things that I want to talk about. Relax. Only two of them this morning. If we're going to make this transition from the lure of the world to, to, to authentic, fully devoted followers of Jesus, there are at least five things from Mark chapter 9 that we need to talk about. First one this morning is this. The perspective is everything. I'm going to read... Uh, Pick it up in verse 30 and just read through verse 32 right now. Mark chapter 9. From there, they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know about it. Hmm. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise Three days later, verse thirty-two. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Mark chapter nine, beginning here in verse thirty. Uh, there's there's a bit of a transition. There's a bit of, of a transition uh, geographically. Uh, Jesus has been up in the in the northern region of Israel up to this point. He's been hanging around up in the northern part. Can I bring that map up, please, Tyler? Uh, Okay, the, the map may not cooperate, but, but then again it might. Uh, so Jesus has been up in, uh, in the northern part where, where it says Galilee there. Uh, you, I don't know if you can read it very well, but you can see Jerusalem down there. It's uh, right kind of the north tip of the Dead Sea. But uh, Galilee is way on up there. That's the Sea of Galilee, that smaller little body up there. He's been over in Decapolis. He's come back over into Galilee. And he's now about to begin to make his move down towards the south. He's heading back down to Jerusalem. Listen, he's heading back down to Jerusalem for the last time. Because chapter 11 of Mark opens with what's called the triumphal entry, which designates the last week of Jesus' life. So, uh... Mark obviously concentrates heavily on the last week of Christ's life, as as most of the gospel writers do. But from chapter 11 through chapter 16, it's all about the last week of Jesus' life. So we've already come through almost all of his ministry. And here in chapter 9, if if you've been following us in this series, if you've been a part of this, one of the things that you should have picked up on by now, or probably have picked up on by by now, is that Mark is a guy that kind of hits the mountaintops. You know, he hits the highlights. Mark doesn't go into nearly as much detail as Matthew and Luke and and, and John do about events where they they happen to share the same events. Mark doesn't go into nearly as much detail. He's hitting the highlights. He's moving from one action event to the next action event. He will bring up some of the teachings of Jesus, but not nearly as much as Matthew and Luke and John. However, beginning here in verse 30... And running through the rest of this chapter and on into chapter 10, we get into an extended period of teaching. Uh, f- at least from uh, as far as Mark is going to go. But we, he, he records a good bit of Jesus' teaching, including Jesus' teaching on divorce. Uh, but we're not going to get to that until chapter 10. Uh, but uh, just just want you to know that God has something to say about that. And we'll We'll get to that. But here in chapter 9... Jesus is beginning to move south as he's making his way through Galilee for the last time. And it says specifically in verse uh, 31, or verse 30, he says, uh, he did not want anyone to know about it. He did not want anyone to find out that he was passing through. He did not want his disciples to tell anyone that he was there. (laughs) Now, Think about this, just, you know, I, I just, I let my mind go this way sometimes, it can be kind of dangerous, I know, but I began to think about what would it have been like to have been with the disciples, you know, they stop each night, whether, whether it's in a home, or whether they sleep along the roadside, and it just depended, but, but they stop, imagine what some of the conversations must have been like as they're passing through here, and uh, you know, and this is the home region, you know, this, they're the home team now. In Decapolis, they may have been, you know, not as well known. And, and there's a bunch of people don't like them in Jerusalem, but, but they on their home turf. And Jesus said, I don't want you telling anybody. Imagine if you're some of, the, in some of the disciples and you're gathered around, maybe you're sitting around a fire at night. What some of those conversations must have sounded like. Why won't he let us tell anybody he's here? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. How are they ever going to follow him as Messiah... ...if he doesn't perform miracles... ...if he doesn't demonstrate his power to them? I don't understand what's going on. Now you know that some of those conversations had to go on... ...or at the very least they are thinking it. Because it says in verse 31... uh, ...that he tells them again... ...that he is going to be arrested... ...delivered into the hands of sinful men... ...he's going to be uh, put to death... And that three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. In verse 32, but they did not understand this statement. You know, I, I picked on the disciples a little bit through this uh, study. And that's okay. They, they've deserved it and, and I deserve it at, at times too. But, you know, we, we've even joked about that. Because, it, again, if you've been in this study, Jesus said this several times, hasn't he? He said, hey, going to get arrested, going to get killed, going to rise again. Hey, going get, to get arrested, going to get killed, going to rise again. He has said this several times. And we've even joked about the fact, you know, uh, what part of that statement do you not understand? And I am, uh, I am of the belief that Jesus wants them to understand. Because uh, in Luke's version of this story, remember we've compared the other gospel writers throughout this. In Luke's version of this, uh, in Luke chapter 9, I think verse 44, uh, look at how Jesus starts this out. How he, what he says, here. he says, let these words sink into your ears for the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. And then he, he goes on and says, Let these words sink into your ears. In other words, hey guys, you know, I, I want you to understand this. I want you to get this. In other words, he wants them to understand that, that what is important is the proper perspective. That's why he doesn't want them to go around and, and, and tell everybody that he is there. And we've brought this up before, but Jesus is not anti healing. It's not that he doesn't want to perform miracles and doesn't want to heal people and he's certainly done that Jesus wants them to understand that their perspective is still off he it's not that he didn't care but he didn't come to restore sight do you understand he didn't come to restore uh, the ability to walk he didn't come to restore the ability to talk he came to restore the relationship between God holy God and sinful man that had been broken at the in the Garden of Eden and that would be restored at the cross and that was the priority and they weren't seeing that. They still had this physical, temporal perspective. Now, let me just sidebar here and give you a little application. Think about this for your own life, okay? Think about this because I know they're wondering, why, why Why can't we tell anybody? It's going it's to heal some people. It's going to be cool. It's going to gather a crowd. Think about that for your own life. When we are praying, and we're asking God to bring a healing in, it to ourselves, maybe it's physical, or to someone that we love. Is that, is that right to ask for that? Absolutely. We, we should. God encourages us to, asks us to. But we need to understand that God's perspective is often different from ours. And so if, if God doesn't do what you think he should do, right? Because I'm sure that they don't get why Jesus won't tell anybody that he's there. We're, we're going stealth mode through Galilee, everybody loves us here, Jesus, and we're going stealth mode. What in the world is going on? When God doesn't do what you think that he should do, you ha- this is why this becomes so critical. The perspective is everything. You have to understand that there may be more to this than you understand. And so we pray, we pray, and we ask in our finiteness, we ask in our limited knowledge, and we ask God to respond in his infiniteness. And we accept that, Response, However, yes, no, wait, uh, I've got something going on that you don't understand, all that kind of stuff. Now, let, let, me, let me take just a few minutes to share something that uh, I think is an interesting kind of sidebar to this, but I think it's worth spending some time on. Uh, look at what, in verse 32 it says, it says, uh, y'all look at it, it says, but they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask him. Alright, that's what Mark says. Look at how Luke records this in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 45. It says, but they did not understand the saying, just like the way Mark says it. But look what Luke adds. And it was concealed from them that they should not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. See what Luke interjects right there in the middle? "And uh, And it was concealed from them that they should not perceive it. Hmm, well, that kind of changes everything. I was, I was getting down on the disciples and saying, why can't y'all get this? And Luke says that it was being concealed from them. Now, I got to thinking about it. I thought, well, if it's being concealed from them, what are the possibilities? Who's concealing it from them? Y'all probably wondering that, weren't you? If not, at least act like it so I can talk up here. And okay, all right, here, as best I could figure, there are three possibilities. One, God is concealing it from them. And, and that is a possibility, and God is God, and He can certainly do whatever He wants. And if God were concealing it from them, He would do so for a very good and specific reason. But, I don't think God was concealing it from them. This you know, is my, my prayerful perspective. I don't think God was concealing it from them. And the main reason I don't think that God is the one concealing it from them is because of what Jesus' statement that He had made in verse 44. Remember, Jesus, who is He? God in the flesh. Remember that statement in verse 44 where he said, let these words sink into your ears? So it sounds like God wants them to understand his purpose in coming. He wants them to have the proper perspective. So for me personally, I, don't, I really don't think this is necessarily God concealing it from them. I'm not downplaying his sovereignty and, and his plans are bigger than mine. I'm just saying that, that he has just said, let this sink into your ears. Second possibility, Satan is concealing it from them, right? Right? That's a possibility. Jesus called him the father of lies and no truth is in him. He is the great deceiver and it is quite possible that Satan would have some motivation for keeping it from them, maybe to cause doubt, maybe to get them fear, maybe to get them run. Uh, it's quite possible. Uh, I have some, some doubts myself as to what, how much Satan truly understood about what was happening and going to the cross. Uh, otherwise, I'm not so sure he would have been so, so quick to, to let everything unfold if he could have prevented it in some way. I don't know that he knew I understood. But it's possible that Satan has deceived them, right? So maybe that's why they're not getting this truth. Third possibility. Are y'all ready for third possibility? Y'all, I don't, y'all, look, y'all look dazed out today. I'm just going to tell you, I'm just telling you right now. Slap somebody beside you and say, <laughs> no, 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 not really. <laughs> um, third possibility. Their own hearts may have been concealing it from them. Hey, and listen, all you got to do is watch one episode of, of Dateline NBC or 2020 or so, some show like that to know how easily it is for our own hearts to deceive us and to keep the truth from us. You're, right? You ever watch any of those shows? Some guy is accused of murdering his wife. Don't want to be morbid here, but, you know, some guy's accused of murdering his wife. The DA has all the evidence. It looks like a slam dunk. It goes to trial. The jury seems to think it's a slam dunk. Everybody on TV watching knows that. Yeah, yeah, this guy's. It, it, there's too many weird stuff. This, this guy is guilty of it, and all this kind of stuff. Everybody seems to be able to see it, except that mom that they interview, when she says, I, "I, I, I don't, I don't care what the evidence shows. I know my son, and I know that my son would not be capable of doing something." Like that, right? Right. What has happened? Her own heart has concealed the truth from her. The guy is guilty as a day is long. I'm, I'm just using a, just as a scenario. The, the guy is guilty as the day is long, but she will not believe it. She cannot believe it because she knows her son, and that he just would not do any of that. Her own heart. Now she believes in all her heart. I mean, she's not being deceptive. She truly believes he didn't do it, right? How about uh, how about Bachelor or Bachelorette? Y'all ever watch that show? Y'all ever watch that? Okay, right. Okay, and did any of y'all watch Bachelor or Bachelorette? Come on, some of y'all watch it. My wife and I watch it. We watch it some. What if, if you watch the show, the guy the guy or girl, depending on what season or whatever. If they don't get a rose, they go home, right? Get her up. What happens? Every single time, the person that doesn't get the rose, they walk out the door, and almost verbatim, you hear the same thing every single time. why well, I, I just didn't see it coming. No, I'm sorry. It'd be more like this. Well, I, I just didn't see it coming. <laughs> really? Really? You didn't see it coming? Because 20 million people watching sure saw it coming. Well, I, 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 I just, I, I just. Thought she felt the same way I did. Seriously? Because we knew she had already punched your ticket for Limoville, dude. You're out of here. Right? What has happened? His own heart is concealing the truth from him. The truth is right there. It's it's in uh, plain as day. Everybody can see it but their own heart conceals the truth from them. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but we, we, we can see it because we have the advantage of being able to see how she interacts with the other guys and how she you know, smiles, what she says about this. And, and, and so we're, we're able to see it a little more clearly. Exactly. We have a better perspective. And so it's so much easier for us to see the truth and not be deceived or not have it concealed from us. The perspective is everything. Uh, This is a number of years ago, but uh, in a a Time Magazine article, Bill Gates uh, was quoted as saying this. uh, Just in terms of allocation of time, resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Now, maybe some of you sitting here right now this morning had that very thought. One of y'all want to amen Bill Gates right now, aren't you? Amen, Brother Bill. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. Do you see his perspective? Now, let's, okay, let's let's put this in perspective. At the time this article was written, I think this came out in like two thousand and seven, something like that. Um, Bill Gates was worth about fifty-six billion dollars at that point. Now, uh, to put that in perspective, uh, at the time this article was written, I think there were one hundred and eighty-one countries listed in the uh, in the Global Monetary Fund, whatever the thing is called, where the countries and. Their GDP is listed, their gross domestic product and all that kind of stuff. There are 181 cr- countries listed on that. If, if Bill Gates were a country, the country of Bill Gates and his worth were, was his GDP, uh, Bill Gates, I think he would have been 56th or 58th in, in, in size in countries out of 181. He'd been the 58th largest in the world. So uh, that translates into this. The dude has got some serious change. Okay? Okay? But when, how much is enough? When is it enough? But you see, to him, because his perspective is only here and now, all he can think about is I could be doing this, or I could be checking the Asian markets, or I could be developing some new fangled thingamajiggy thing. There's all this stuff I could, be, I could be doing, right? And so instead of sitting here, Bill Gates can't see any any value in spiritual things because he has only a temporal perspective. Do you understand you know, I was reading that some psychology institute or something did this study, and they found that, that, people, uh, that, that people that had won bronze medals, did you know that people that win bronze medals are generally more happy than people that win silver medals? Did you know that? I didn't know that, but I, it made sense after I, after I read the article. Why? Because the people with bronze medals, they're just happy they won a medal. The people that won the silver medals, all they can think about is how close they came to winning gold. See, the perspective is everything in this. I read about an, uh, an English professor in, in a class who wrote this, uh, this statement on the board, wrote this sentence. Women without her man is a savage. And he asked the, the students in his class to take out a piece of paper, write down the statement, and then to, uh, to put in... Yeah, punctuate it. Thank you. Well, it's not their word. <laughs> to punctuate it. To, to do punctuation on the sentence. From what I understand, to a person... To a person. The men did this. The men wrote, women. Without her, man is a savage. Women, to a person, wrote, woman. Without her, man is a savage. <laughs> See, right? It's the perspective is everything, right? What is your perspective on this thing? Uh, y'all, some of y'all probably heard this, but this, and this was years ago. Um, uh, some shoe company was thinking about expanding their territory, going global, and they sent salesmen all over the world. And this was years ago. They sent salesmen all over the world to investigate different markets and see where they might. And they sent two salesmen down into part of the, the continent of Africa that's known as the part that's known as the Congo. The country's known as the Congo. And uh, one of the salesmen uh, relayed back, and he said, "Prospects here, none. Nobody wears shoes." The other salesman in the exact same country uh, wired back to the company. Prospects here, fantastic. Everybody's barefooted. The perspective is everything. Now, think about how that applies uh, to our spiritual lives. Think about how perspective plays a part in our spiritual lives and how important it becomes for us. If in life and money and marriage and all the other stuff that that comes with life if my perspective is only temporal if it is only here if it is only now if it is only how this is going to affect me or what this is going to cost me or how this is going to hurt me if this is only if my perspective is here and now that I'm telling you my my reaction in those in those life moments will be radically radically different than if my perspective were more of a spiritual perspective so for instance if you're your spouse or a coworker, or a boss does something to thoroughly tick you off or hurt you. If your perspective is here and now, temporal, then your reaction, quite honestly, is going to be one that is, how can I get even? How can I get back to them? How can I get the score evened up? Uh, bitterness, uh, the tendency to pull away from them, the tendency to... To downplay anything that they do right, the tendency to uh, look uh, approach every other interaction you have with them with, with, you know what I'm saying. However, if your perspective is more of a spiritual perspective, then when your spouse or your boss or your coworker does something to tick you off or hurt you, you're going to find yourself much more able to respond from a grace position. Much more able to extend forgiveness to them for being late for dinner or not calling you or forgetting your anniversary or you know or demoting you. Well, I don't know whatever it would be. But if your position is more from a from a spiritual perspective, then your your response to them will be much different. Now, if you're here and you think, yeah, but if I do that, if I if I respond from a grace position, if I, if I if I you know. If I don't get even, then they're just going to get away with this thing. There you go again. Thinking from a temporal perspective. Because if you have an eternal perspective, you would know that this is true. You know that no one, ultimately no one gets away with anything. Not, not really. Not really. Um, one of my uh, tweets this week, I, I, I try and tweet at least Monday through Friday, I, just a little very brief devotional thing based on a verse. If you want to Follow me, you certainly could feel free to follow. Uh, There's my uh, hashtag right there. You can follow me and get it. Never mind. Uh, Anyway, and one of my tweets this week was based on uh, Proverbs chapter 15. It says this The eyes of the Lord are in every place. So would you all read that with me? Say it out loud. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil. And the good. What I'm saying to you is, folks, uh-uh, it doesn't matter what they think or, or what it looks like, or I'm just telling you, when your perspective is an eternal perspective, you're, you're going to understand that God is ultimately over this whole deal. Nobody's getting away with anything, not ultimately, and that you can trust in Him, which is where we're going to get to in just a minute. The perspective is everything. So you and I have to choose on a daily basis, really, on on a uh, a moment by moment, on an, uh, on from one event to the next, you and I have to choose either I'm going to have a temporal perspective on this, or I'm going to have a te- uh, an eternal perspective on this. Now, when it's three o'clock in the morning and your baby's sick and crying and you're changing diapers every thirty seconds and you know all this kind of stuff, and you uh, it might be kind of hard to find an eternal perspective in that. <laughs> But if the, my mindset is that if I determine, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand, it's not just me, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a positive thinker. <laughs> no, the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, if my perspective is eternal, everything, my relationships, my job situation, my everything, will take a new perspective. It'll take, a, take on a new nuance to it. And, and God will be glorified when my responses are more from that eternal perspective versus that temporal perspective. Got it? So the perspective is everything. Now, that one's hard. The next one is even harder. Looks like this. Your position is nothing. Now, let me just read 33 to 37. Uh, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. uh, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. In other words, the, 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 this is a God thing. The, this, is the God, this is the Godhead thing. This gives us a, a, just a little glimpse of how skewed, how off the disciples' perspective was from Jesus' perspective. What is, he, he's been talking about going to be arrested, going to be killed, going to rise from the dead. They're talking about which one of them can be the greatest. Right? And listen... The, they, they know they're not right, right? Because in verse, uh, well, in 33, Jesus says, hey, uh, what are you guys talking about? Verse 34, but they kept silent because they'd been discussing which of them was good. They know, they, they, they got a lot to learn, but they have hung with Jesus long enough to know that pride and arrogance and selfishness have no place in the kingdom of God, ladies and gentlemen. No place in the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, sadly, tragically, it is rampant in places within the kingdom of God. This idea of, of me, or my rights, or I've got to be number one, or I've got to do this, or I've got to have this, or I've got your position, I love you, but your position, my position, is nothing. Nothing. That's how we have to approach this. That's how we have to approach this life, this idea of following Jesus. They kept silent. I, I just got to believe that this is another one of these, um, this is another one of those moments for Jesus when it's like, <sighs> again, because like I said, he's talking about dying. He's talking about, you know, all, and they're talking about who's going to be the greatest or who is the greatest. The text says he, he, he says, Come here, guys. He says, Come here. You want to be the greatest? Here it is. You got to be last. You got to put yourself absolutely last. You got to put other people before yourself. You got to be servant of all. Now, think about what Jesus is saying, because both for the disciples and for us, that is so hard for us, isn't it? Because it runs so counter to what culture, what the world teaches, and so counterintuitive to what our own flesh wants, right? Does anybody want to be last? Does anybody want to not get the last piece of pie? (laughs) Because you get, you you know what I'm saying? Does anybody, this idea of, of dying to self and putting others first, that's part of this, this following Jesus thing. And it is not easy to do. Uh, my wife's, Cindy's favorite two shows are uh, Downton Abbey and 24. <laughs> that's, quite, that's quite a diversity in, uh, in uh, genres, isn't it? You know, you got this, uh, Downton Abbey is like this, you know, early 20th century prim and proper English manner. And then you got Jack Bauer, shoot em up, bang em up, save the world stuff uh, in, in 24. But those are, two, those are two favorite shows. In Downton Abbey, if you're not familiar with Downton Abbey, and I'll be honest with you, I can't really get into the show, uh, but it follows the storyline of this wealthy family in England right around the turn of the, into the 20th century, it's early it's World War I uh, time period. Um, it follows them and their life and their lifestyle and their servants who, you know, do everything for them and tie their shoes and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, it, but what's interesting about so one of the interesting things about the show is that you, you follow this storyline as the wealthy people try and ascend the social ladder, whether it's in their home or in the community or whatever. And you also follow the servants who live there in the manor or work there or, or whatever else who also are trying to climb this their social ladder, their their scale of priority within the the servant industry and within their calling and within all this kind of stuff. That is the human nature, isn't it? To, me, hey, what what about me? Hey, did did y'all forget me? Or why why didn't I get, how come I, I deserve this? Why didn't I get that? That is the human nature. That is the natural thing. The supernatural thing that we are called to do in the power of God is the polar opposite of that. Listen, it's a little sneak peek, we'll, we'll see it when we get to Mark chapter 10. But, but in Mark chapter 10, Jesus kind of repeats almost the same idea and he adds something. Watch this, Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 42, he says, Jesus called them together and said, the other nations have rulers. Okay, you, you guys, y'all know how this works. The other nations have rulers. You know that those rulers love to show their power of the people and their important leaders love to use all their authority. But it should not be that way among you. But it should not be that way among you. Whoever wants to become great among you must serve the rest of you like a servant. Whoever wants to become the first among you must serve all of you like a slave. Wow. Notice must. Jesus doesn't seem to suggest that, you know, you might want to think about this or pray about being a... No, you must. In the same way... And here, 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 this is... In the same way... The Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many people. So Jesus said, guys, here, here's, here I am. He says, look me. You, you, you call me Master and Lord and, and you're right. But I didn't come to be served. I didn't, I didn't come uh, for you to wave, keep me cool with palm branches or drop grapes in my mouth. or you know, I, I didn't come for that. I came to actually serve you. Your position is nothing. And Jesus gives this illustration. He, he picks up this little child, right? He picks up this little child and he says, here's, here's your model. Now I was thinking about it, know, based on what Mark said, I thought, well, what is it that makes a child a model of humility? Because a lot of my children, when they're growing up, they weren't always real humble. I mean, they wanted it what they want it when they want you know what I'm saying? They it's about me, as we all can can be. Well. To understand it better, I think we need to look at how Matthew records this encounter. Look at what Matthew says, Matthew 18. He says, truly I say to you, um, this is the same instance, okay, it's just Matthew's recording. Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children. Unless you change, guys, you are so focused on yourself and, and the kingdom right now and overthrowing the Romans right now and, and becoming you know, this glorious thing right now, unless you change. And become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Matthew doesn't say it, but Mark does say it. Mark specifically tells us that Jesus picks the child up. What's the model? The model is this child is completely and totally dependent on trusting in Jesus. As, as he holds this child in his arms, it's this idea of complete, unconditional, absolute trust in God. There's the model. There's the objective. Now think about this in your life. If you, if you approach situations like that, or I'm trusting the Lord, think how that will affect whether it's your, your marriage or your, your co-working situation or at the s- store or wherever you are, you say, it's just no big deal. I don't, it doesn't matter if I get the accolades or if I get... Now listen, I, I, I'm not saying that, that having goals, and we've talked about that before, it's not that having those things is wrong or uh, you know I want to achieve this certain level to the glory of God, but I'm saying when, when I know that I can trust God and say, hey, it's, it's all. It's all, I'm all in his, in his arms. I don't have to worry about whether this person is getting ahead or whether that person's doing that or whether that person hurt me or that person did that. I, I can just trust in Him because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, I, if anybody knows who I am. It doesn't matter if, if somebody, whatever. It doesn't matter anymore. This is, this is really important. I, I know we're going to wrap this thing up, but I just want to say this is really, really important. This is the essence of of what it means to follow Christ, to put others before yourself. A lot of you know that that this is one of the, the main platforms of the vision that I believe God gave to me in the very beginning when we started Cross Culture Church is that we would be a church that that's not perfect, and it's not, you know, there are plenty of other churches I'm sure that do it right, but that would truly be based on this idea. That's why uh, some of you know this, some of you don't know this, but Luke chapter 9, verse 23 is, is the theme verse for cross culture church. It is our theme verse. And not hopefully just in word, but in deed as well. Luke 9, 23 says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, you want to be my follower? Fine. You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. There it is, guys. There it is. You want to be a follower of Jesus? No problem. Die. Die to yourself. Die to your wants. Die to your ambitions. Die to your aspirations. When they conflict with what God has for your life, and where God wants to take you, and how God wants to use you to minister in other people's lives. That's, that's, that's a bedrock principle of Cross-Culture Church. And I just, I just want to stand up here and and brag on y'all for just a minute, because one of the things I love about cross-culture church, and I'll just say this, we're not, we're not large yet, numerically, and we're not perfect, we don't get it right all the time, but I, I love the fact that there's so many of you that have servant hearts, and just look for ways that you can minister to other people, and can serve other people, and can be a part of, of glorifying God by putting others ahead of yourself. Whether it's the setup crew that gets here at 8 o'clock in the morning while others are, are still asleep, whether it's working in C2 kids and a child that's upset or teaching a spiritual truth, whether it's designing some, some new design set, whether it's uh, greeting people, whatever all the various ways are, whether it's leading a life group or all these different aspects, all these different ways that we give people opportunities. It is putting them ahead of yourself and realizing that your position doesn't really matter. Not about who gets the credit. I love the fact that Cross Culture Church ministers and displays that love let me tell you why that's so important uh, look at this passage of scripture in uh, i think uh, john uh, chapter i forget uh, 13 yeah a new commandment i give you that you love one another even as i have loved you basically the same idea jesus laid down his life for us we lay down our lives for others by this watch this by this all men will know that you're my disciples here's how they'll know if you have love for one another in other words, the fact that they see you laying down your life for others, serving others, giving to others, that that becomes an outward demonstration of the reality of Christ in your life. Now, let me say this real quick in closing. I would, I would put a couple of, uh, couple of sidebar notes to this idea of, of serving. The first one is this. Service to others comes out of our surrender to God. Do you understand? First of all, it's not so. It's not just about you know I punch a clock, and so I I have to you know let this guy be my rear end boss. He's just terrible the way he acts, treats me. He's a real you know it's 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 not it's not about that. It's it's about I surrender to him. I've surrendered to God, and so that's why I serve this guy. I, when I first came to Christ, I was working for the post office, and I, I used to have, have to remind myself all the time uh, about that. Because all these managers, they want to move up. The only way to move up is to get more mail. in Never mind. Anyway, uh, I used to say it all the time. I used to say, I do not work for the United States Postal Service. I work for the living God. The United States Postal Service just happens to be the means through which God is making provision for my life and for my family right now. I, I have to remind myself of that all the time. You know this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren by the mercies of god or because of the mercies of god to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to god which is your spiritual service of worship so your service to others is born out of your 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 surrender to him does that make sense the second one, and I don't have time to spend much on it, but the second idea is just this. Service to others shouldn't enable harmful behavior. I want to make sure that you leave here understanding that, that serving others and, t- and thinking nothing of your position and putting others ahead of you doesn't mean that you do or give to every person whatever they want without exception because you may in fact be enabling them to do a behavior that is unbiblical. Do You understand what I'm saying? So... Not to, not to pick on uh, people that are in an intersection asking for money, but if, but if I pull up to an intersection and somebody says, uh, has a sign up that says, hungry will work for food, I, I should always be sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, and, and if He leads me to, to hand somebody some money, I, sh- I should do that, and I have done that, but I need to understand that in a, uh, that in a significant number of times that many are going to use that, those funds to, for a behavior that is destructive to them. You understand what I'm saying? Be it alcohol abuse or drug use or, or whatever. Not all, I'm not, but I'm just saying. And so you need to make sure that your service to others doesn't enable harmful behavior. Bible has something to say about work ethic. Bible has something to say about, about physical uh, exercise. and need to get up and to move and do all these things. So... So when we're talking about being a servant, it doesn't mean that you move or do every single thing that every single person wants for you. You do under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you, serve, you act as a servant, you live as a servant, you forget about your position, and you help people in any way that you can, but not in a way that enables them to actually continue to move in a direction that is taking them away from God, if that makes sense. Okay, let's just close with it, just by reminding you of this. The world says that you that, that the world says that success is determined by how many people serve you. God says that success is determined by how many people you serve. The world says that success is obtained by reaching higher, climbing higher. God says that success is obtained by bending lower. And putting others ahead of yourself. Those are two directly opposed, diametrically opposed positions. And a follower of Jesus has to understand my position is nothing. This isn't about me. This isn't about what I deserve. This isn't about how I got wronged. This isn't about any of that stuff. This is about glorifying God and recognizing. Now, here's where the, this, this whole perspective thing, this is one of those areas where it becomes absolutely critical. If you have a temporal perspective, when, when, when you get passed over for the, demotion, for the promotion or, or you get, you know, chewed out for something you didn't do or you, you know, whatever else, you will probably will not respond in a way that glorifies God. But if you have an eternal perspective, you'll know, hey, God, you're in charge, you're in control. I have a right to defend myself. I'll, I'll speak Christ-like to anybody. I'll tell them the truth of the situation. But God, whether I get the promotion, don't get the promotion, get the raise, don't get the raise, uh, my spouse remembers our anniversary or forgets our anniversary or you know, wants to do this with me or not, whatever, well, all that, God, I know that, that ultimately the eternal perspective is best. I'm going to keep that in mind. And God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm in your arms and I can trust you in the midst of it. Perspective is everything. Your position is nothing.
0: I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's an old saying that goes like this. It really hits me where I live. And today's message from Pastor Clay probably hits all of us where we live keeping the right perspective, an eternal spiritual one instead of a physical material one is not easy. As Pastor Clay told us today the world teaches us to focus on the here and the now and our flesh wants us to do just that but we have to choose a different perspective, one that keeps the big picture in mind and Jesus made it clear, our position is one of a servant. Putting others ahead of ourselves is not always easy but as Jesus said, it is the only way for his followers. If we all followed that teaching, marriages, homes, churches, and communities in general would be a whole lot better off. By the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we need to keep a perspective that is eternal and a position that is humble. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7, and we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the
1: bread, but I'm.